This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. If you'd like to support the work we're doing, please visit the Contribute tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Young Turks, The David Pakman Show, Represent.us, Counterspin, The Tom Hartman Program, and activism from wolf-pack.com, Represent.us, SaveDemocracy.org, and StampStampede.org. Brazil's Supreme Court has uh, come out pretty strong in response to widespread political corruption in their elections in recent years. They've banned corporate donations in politics, which is amazing. The entire country of Brazil is now free, at least temporarily, from the plight of corporate donations in uh, politics. The court ruled 8-3 to three to block such campaign financing, which in the most recent presidential elections represented well over 90% of the funding for leading candidates and eventual presidents. That reminds me of another country I know. Uh, and this is one of the justices voting to ban it, said, The influence of economic power culminates by turning the electoral process into a political game of marked cards, an odious pantomime that turns the voter into a puppet, crumbling in one blow both citizenship and democracy. And uh, the particular law that they overturned uh, allowed corporations to donate 2% of their gross revenue from the year prior to any particular election cycle. Rosa Weber now is one of my favorite people on the planet. I love that quote. Yeah, that her. quote is amazing. Right. And in turning the voters into puppets. Think that through for a second, right? It, she's saying, if you have enough money, you just simply buy off the politicians, which is what they were doing in Brazil, and they did it, uh, two, $2 billion in legalized bribes. Now, you mm-hmm. hear that, and you think, like, oh, that's a scandal. And it was. It was a big scandal in Brazil. Remember, in the 2012 election, we also had $2 billion in legalized bribes. I went to Mitt Romney and Barack Obama. But for us, it wasn't even a scandal. Yeah. That's how we run things. They're like, well, of course, the corporations bought uh, two good products, Mitt Romney and Barack Obama, and they had a, a race, and the product Obama won instead. I mean, what's the big deal, right? Yeah. So, And she says, but if you take the money and you give it to the politicians and they use it to buy their ads, do all the things that uh, gives them a larger megaphone to be able to spread truth, lies, their positions, et cetera, to the people, and the other guy doesn't have a megaphone because corporations didn't give him billions of dollars, well, you've turned the people into a puppet because their votes are not actually informed. You're not in a real democracy. One side has an overwhelming uh, advantage you can't recover from, so the whole thing has become a sham. Well, she was right about Brazil. She's also right, maybe even more so, about the United States of America where these political donations are now considered... Fate accompli, and uh, we're supposed to accept our fate and bow our heads yeah. and say the donors get to pick our politicians, and that's it. Yeah, I understood Wait. there wasn't going to be any Latin. <laughs> <laughs> or French. Can Hume, I Hume make, make one quick observation that I was watching? So in Bloomberg, the day after Joe Biden went on with Stephen Colbert and had that moment, the next day he had a meeting at his hotel with a big bundler that bundled for Barack Obama and golfs with him and everything. Joe Biden doesn't even know the guy. John Heilman reported that they had a meeting. And and as he's telling the story on the news, John Heilman says, now can you imagine, they both know the significance of this, what's happening. He calls a bundler, he doesn't even know, and they have a meeting. Just imagine, they knew what this meant. What this meant was that a bundler that the vice president doesn't even know 
has the power to decide if the vice president is worthy of running for fucking president. Yeah. And as John Hobbin is telling the story, it doesn't even dawn on him that that's the problem, that our democracy has been hijacked, that nameless money bundlers are now the ones picking our candidates and not the citizens. And yeah. that's the story here. But the story to those guys is that, look, Joe's really serious now because he met with a bundler. Yeah, like <laughs> the vice president would have no chance of getting elected if a billionaire wasn't behind him. An anonymous yeah. billionaire. How sick is our system? Yes. It's like the camera can be on the puppet, but it can't pan up to the hands Just, controlling yes, it. Yes. yes. Like, it's impossible. Come on. A tripod doesn't go that high. And, and uh, look, <laughs> in, in, in Iran, the mullahs pick uh, the politicians the Iranian people get the vote on. And we call it a sham election. That's ridiculous. Yeah. The Grand Ayatollah picked your two choices, right? Yeah. But it wasn't just the Grand Ayatollah. It was a collection of mullahs in Iran that does that. Yeah. In China, it's the Politburo. The Communist Party gets together and gives you choices. That's funny. In our country, actually a smaller percentage of people, Larry Lessig has proven this, okay? It, the number of people who donate to these politicians at a level that makes a difference, okay, is a smaller percentage of our country than the mullahs in Iran and the Communist Party in China. Our elite are a smaller group of people who are billionaires who tell you, these are your choices. I pick candidate A for you and candidate B. And they're having a private conversation now on whether they'll let the vice president yeah. run for president. Now, yes. You, you've proved once again that we are number one. That's right. Yeah, and, and the, the worst thing about it is is both that they choose the three people you get to choose from, but even more insidious, perhaps, is that it's not a representative sample of the sorts of candidates that you could theoretically have. Only very specific platforms are exactly. allowed to get to that point. And it, that's why it's so shocking when somebody like Bernie Sanders is actually capable of running and getting the attention that he has. Now, do you think they're going to let someone run who would be against their interests? <laughs> who would raise taxes on the rich? Maybe they like competition. So that's why right. when Barack Obama ran against Mitt Romney, it was tails they win, heads they win. It doesn't matter. They were winners either way. So Barack Obama had to change placards, and he won. So what? Hey, right? But what did he do? He made 94% of George Bush's tax cuts permanent. Permanent, yeah. Now, even George Bush couldn't make them permanent. So what did the donors know that we didn't know? Right? They knew Barack Obama wasn't a real threat to them. Yes. That's why they gave him billions yeah. of dollars to run and to rerun for election again. So they're the puppet masters, and we're pretending we have a democracy. Why don't we rise up a little bit and see if we can rattle their cage? Yeah. Wolf-pack.com. Okay, once we start running, and we've already got four states, and we're picking up steam, and we start to come after these guys, and you start to see the sweat dripping down their forehead, and you will. I'll sh I guarantee you, mark my words, there'll be a moment on TV where you'll see somebody talking about Wolfpack and this whole thing about getting a constitutional amendment to not let the rich uh, decide our elections where money can't control. No, no, no. And you will see literally a sweat running down their brow. And I'll, sh I'll point it out to you, and I'm telling you, uh, a year at a time, however long ahead of time, it's going to happen. And when you see that, you're going to feel fantastic. Right? When you put the fear of God in them, that we're going to upturn their system. We're not, we do, we're not the right-wingers. We're not crazy. We do it right. We do a political revolution. Yeah. Okay? And we get democracy back. Right? But that scares the hell out of them because that might cost them hundreds of millions of dollars they're stealing from us right now. Right? And when we say, hey, we're going to put an end to your stealing, to your robbery, to, your, to the puppet masters, ooh, that's going to put the fear of God in them. Let's go overturn their apple cart. Wolf-pack.com. Come be a warrior for us. And you'll see what power's about.
I'm joined today by Solomon Khan, who's a former fellow at the Harvard University Safra Center for Ethics, who has built a tool to explore who is giving money to national politicians. His day job is running the data team at Paperless Post. So on this show, we talk about campaign finance and donations all the time. Tell us a little bit about how your tool will work. Your Kickstarter campaign is almost fully funded for this, last I checked. How will the tool work? Uh, so the tool sits on top of uh, Open Secrets Data, which is uh, an organization that collects and cleans data from the FEC. And what will allow anyone to do is both to understand the full context of how a politician raises money and then also allows them fle- the flexibility to go through uh, the very detailed views of exactly who they're raising it from. So explain so, explain the full context. I mean, people may know sort of anecdotally about, oh, sometimes there, there's super PAC contributions and then individuals can donate. And so, so talk to us about what that full context is. Yes. So uh, on the main page of the visualization, what people can do is they can see how much money a candidate raised from different uh, sectors uh, across different campaign cycles. So you can see if your candidate 10 years ago raised a million dollars and is now raising $10 million, uh, your congressional candidate. Uh, you can split that. And, and on the page, you can see how much of that comes from the financial sector, how much of that comes from the labor sector, how much of it comes from health, uh, you know, how much of it comes from super PACs or, or independent expenditures against their opponents. Um, and you can see how much comes, you can split that data on for individuals only, PACs only or combined, and then you can also see all of that data in total or percent. So it's just a, it's just a very clean visual way of taking something very complex, but putting it all in one chart that lets you see, okay, actually, this is what's actually happening in money in politics. Instead of now, I feel like most people know that there's way too much money in politics, but if asked to be specific about so exactly how much is your congressperson raising, they could never answer that question. So you talked about how the, the, the platform, the tool will work based on the data from Open Secrets. I'm curious whether you've thought of, and I, I'm, I'm guessing this would be a, a more qualitative analysis that may not be as automatable. When we were talking about net neutrality, for example, there was a connection between the money received from cable companies and their lobbyists by politicians and what their position and votes were with regard to net neutrality. So it would be fascinating if I could pull up, here are the donations over time for this individual from the oil industry, and here's how they voted with regard to legislation. Yeah, so that's that gets into the other side of this visualization, which are the detailed views. So uh, within once you see on the main page those individual sectors, you can actually click on them to see every company from an election cycle from the energy industry, how much have they given to that particular candidate, or how much from the telecommunications industry. And you can see, oh, Comcast gave you know, X amount of money. And then beyond that even, and this is where you get details that go beyond what most people, I think, expect of the tools that they currently use. You can actually even click on Comcast to see every single donation that someone working at Comcast has ever given to that candidate. So you can see the context for the relationship between a particular company and a particular candidate. Um, and one of the one of the features that is on the roadmap uh, after launching this is to also pull in that voting data. So to see on the same visualization how much money a candidate raised from whom and then how did they vote. 
So let's talk a little bit about types of contributions and secrecy and, and privacy. There are ways that the massively wealthy can uh, sort of follow uh, the letter of a lot of the, the campaign finance disclosure laws, but not the spirit, and keep their spending essentially secret. Talk to us about that context. Are there some contributions that are the detail of which is sort of beyond the data you're able to access? Yes. So I'll give the perfect example. Um, I would say that the probably most well-known uh, like PAC or, or super PAC type of, even though this, it ended up being a nonprofit, like when in my mind, before I knew all the details, I was always excited to see like what actually happened with those swift boat ads against John Kerry, mm -hmm. right at the end of the presidential election. And because to me, that those were the most pressing example of like an outside group coming in and spending a significant amount of money and making just an, an enormous difference in the history of this country. And so I was so excited. I built this tool and then I went to go look at John Kerry and look at the, look at the attack ads that were, that were paid for against him. And I didn't see them. And I said, there's, there must be something wrong. It's impossible that the most famous attack ads by a pack ever to have existed in in the United States were just missing, but they are because that organization was technically a nonprofit, not a not a political action committee, and the people who donated to that nonprofit and the and the the communications that they did were not disclosed to the FEC, and so we still don't have answers beyond about I think the exact specifics behind that. Like, that's not in the FEC data. And to me, that's just the the biggest example of something that we should know but about campaign finance, about who's spending money to influence our elections, and we don't know it. And over time, we know that in the aggregate, you hear, oh, this is the first $100 million campaign. This is the first billion-dollar campaign. So the absolute numbers in terms of money and politics are clearly growing. But have you looked at inflation adjusted is this something that is getting worse and worse i have not looked at inflation adjusted because it, you don't need to look at the inflation adjusted numbers to know that yes it's gotten monumentally worse um if you look back at bill clinton in the 90s he in order to win the presidential election raised under 33 million dollars seems like nothing now it is nothing now especially now we're thinking that the candidate who ultimately wins the presidential election is going to have raised over two billion around two billion dollars and that's the billion the two billion versus 33 million is just such a different order of magnitude that inflation is a joke you wouldn't you don't even you don't need inflation to know that the problem has just morphed to a level that people people would be would be shocked and and this is one of the things that i i i wrote about in that AMA, I think that people are operating as if money in politics has always been a problem, which I agree that it has. And because people have always complained about money in politics, complaining about money in politics now, you don't get the same, you don't get the same sense of the different scope of the problem. I think also people aren't able to as accurately judge the difference between, you know, 33 million is a really big number, 2 billion is a really big number. It just all sounds like a lot of money to me. But 
when you look at what, who, like what actually you need to do and who you need to raise money from in order to raise that much more money, it's just, it's, it's just shocking. It's just such a huge difference and it's just gotten so much worse. For the last few years, I've had this sense that everything I learned as a kid about how America's government works is completely wrong. But I had no idea how bad things actually were until I saw this one graph. Researchers at Princeton University looked at more than 20 years worth of data to answer a pretty simple question. Does the government represent the people? Now, this is what they found. This axis here represents public support for any given idea. On the left, at 0%, are ideas that not a single American wants. On the right, at 100%, are ideas that everyone supports. This axis represents the likelihood of Congress passing a law that reflects any of these ideas, from a 0 to a 100% chance. On this graph, an ideal republic would look like this. If 50% of the public supports an idea, there's a 50% chance of it becoming law. If 80% of us support something, there's an 80% chance. You get the idea. Now, most Americans would probably agree that, with a few exceptions, we should be as close to this ideal as possible. Unfortunately, the way America actually works doesn't even come close. Take an idea that nobody supports, literally nobody, and it has about a 30% chance of becoming federal law. Now, Take an incredibly popular idea, the most popular idea this country has ever seen, and there's also about a 30% chance of it becoming law. This means that the number of American voters for or against any idea has no impact on the likelihood that Congress will make it law. Put another way, and I'm just going to quote the Princeton study directly here, the preferences of the average American appear to have only a minuscule, near zero, statistically non-significant impact upon public policy. So if you've ever felt like your opinion doesn't matter and that the government doesn't really care what you think, well, you're right. But there's a catch. This flat line only accounts for the bottom 90% of income earners in America. Economic elites, business interests, people who can afford lobbyists, they get their own line. Look at how much closer their line is to the ideal. When they want something, the government is much more likely to do it. And when they don't, they have the power to completely block it from happening, no matter how much the rest of the country supports it. They get what they want, and guess who ends up paying for it? We pay for it with the most expensive healthcare in the world. We pay for it with a tax code that's a complete mess. We pay for it with internet that's slower and more expensive, with wasteful spending, a floundering education system, a catastrophic drug war, and one in five American children born into poverty. Almost every major issue we face as a nation can be traced back to this graph. How does this happen? Well, just follow the money. Right now, it's perfectly legal to buy political influence in America. 
Here's how it works. Let's say a big bank wants a law that would force taxpayers to bail them out again if they repeat the exact same reckless behavior that crashed the global economy in 2008. Not exactly the most popular idea with the public, and Congress knows that. That should be the end of it. But that's where the money comes in. It's perfectly legal for our bank to hire a team of lobbyists whose entire job is to make sure that the government gives the bank what it wants. Then those lobbyists can track down members of Congress who regulate banks and help raise a ton of money for their re-election campaigns. It's perfectly legal for those lobbyists to offer those same politicians million-dollar jobs at their lobbying firm. Then those lobbyists can literally write the language of this new bailout law themselves and hand it off to the politician they just buttered up with campaign money and lucrative job offers. And it's perfectly legal for those politicians to take the lobbyist-written language and sneak it through Congress at the last second. So now you've got a law that greatly benefits the banks and the whole process can start over. This is how a bill becomes a law. A special interest hires some lobbyists, those lobbyists collect campaign contributions, offer jobs, and then write the laws that Congress then passes to help those same special interests. This happens every day on every single issue with politicians of both parties. In the last five years alone, the 200 most politically active companies in the United States spent $5.8 billion influencing your government. Those same companies got 4.4 trillion in taxpayer support. And that's trillion, with a T. And that's just the top 200 companies. Never mind every other special interest, every union, every trade association, and every billionaire. Every single one of them can use their money to buy political influence. You know, there's this idea out there that this only became a problem after the Supreme Court Citizens United decision in 2010. But the data goes back almost 40 years, and the results are clear. Corruption is legal in America. And as long as it is, anyone who can spend money to buy political influence will. The solution here isn't rocket science. Make corruption illegal. We already know Congress won't do it. I mean, one look at this chart will tell you that. What we need is a plan that lets us go around Congress and do what the American people do best. Fix this mess ourselves. Well, good news. We have that plan and it's already working. Now that we've got the problem covered, let us show you how to be part of the solution. Hi, I'm Josh Silver, Director of Represent Us. If you're watching this, you probably agree that our government is broken, that it's corrupt, that it's wasteful, and it doesn't listen to us. But despite what you may think, we can fix it. We have a plan that doesn't rely on Congress to do it, doesn't need a constitutional amendment, and allows us to go right around the broken system, directly to the people. The thing is, we need your help. In 2014, we won a campaign to pass a major anti-corruption act in the capital city of Florida. A coalition of progressives, moderates, and conservatives in Tallahassee bypassed politicians, went straight to the people, and asked them to vote on a citywide anti-corruption act. It passed by a two-to-one margin, and now it's the law. If you want to learn more about what we did there, click this video over here. Within weeks of our victory, over 2,000 people across America raised their hands saying they wanted to be part of the next campaign to pass a sweeping law in their city or their state. At the end of this video, I'm going to tell you how, if we pass enough of these laws, we can take reform all the way to Washington and fix the problem for good. But first, 
We need thousands more people to raise their hands. If you're one of them, please click this link right here and we'll work with you directly to bring an anti-corruption act to your town. We're building this movement from the bottom up, but we need to be strategic. So we're looking for a dozen of the most promising cities and counties to support in 2015 and 16. And we need to pass two statewide anti-corruption ballot initiatives as well. These ballot initiatives work because they're bypassing the legislature completely and asking the people directly. And it's not a new idea. Take marriage equality or, or marijuana legalization. It doesn't matter what you think about those issues. This is about political strategy. 10, 20 years ago, they were both going nowhere in Washington. So they changed the play and they went straight to the people. They redrew the political map, and today they're winning big time. But unlike those issues, everyone agrees with us. Over 80% of conservatives, progressives, everyone in between support our robust anti-corruption laws. I mean, who wouldn't? Anti-corruption acts create three common sense but major changes. First, they stop political bribery. A politician who regulates banks can't accept donations from banks. It just makes sense. They can't cash in and become millionaire lobbyists right after leaving office. Second, it ends secret money. No more secret special interests buying our democracy. And third, give everybody a voice by creating a small tax rebate for voters who make political contributions. Running for office is never going to be free. Campaigning takes money. But this way, great candidates with great ideas, but without access to big money special interests, they can run and they can win. Okay, so what you really want to know is how will passing state laws fix the Congress in Washington? Every time we win, a new batch of clean politicians go to Washington without having to take money from special interests. They're funded directly by their constituents. Imagine that. You know, the ones they're supposed to represent. In 2015, we're focusing on a handful of cities. By 2016, we want to pass anti-corruption laws in a dozen cities and two states. In 2018, we'll target two to four more states and lots more cities. As we continue to win, our success will inspire others, many others. And if we pass anti-corruption laws in 10 states, we'll start a domino effect and create a wave of reform. That's the beauty of the system our nation's founders gave us. We the people can have real influence if we seize the opportunity. Imagine a government without ties to big money special interests. A Congress that is once again of, by, and for the people. We can stop political bribery. We can end secret money. We can break the revolving door. If you're ready to accept the challenge, raise your hand. We're on the verge of making history, and that begins with you. Les Moombas, uh, keeping it real. He's the CEO of CBS. Now, what does he think about the Donald Trump phenomenon? Now, some of us are afraid for the republic. Now, I don't know what Les Moombas' politics are. I don't know if he's a Democrat. I don't know if he's a Republican. Uh, given that he's an enormously rich executive and owner of a media or a CEO of a media corporation, he's very likely to be Republican. Um, but most Republicans are scared of Donald Trump. Uh, do we know what he thinks about politically in regards to Donald Trump? We don't. But we do know what he said, and he said uh, about the candidates, the more they spend, the better it is for us. And go Donald, keep getting out there. Indeed, 
Cha-ching. That's what he sees when he sees Donald Trump on TV. So you want to know why they keep covering Donald Trump? Here's your answer. It's not just the ratings. The longer he goes, the more Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz and Jeb Bush have to spend in political attack ads against them. The more money all of TV makes. Oh. So there you have at least part of your answer as to why TV loves Donald Trump. He says, and you know, this is fun watching this. Let him spend money on us. And we love having them in there. We're looking forward to a very exciting political year in 16. Indeed. Hey, at least he's being honest with you, right? You don't happen, uh, you don't have that often in, with television executives. He did uh, this level of honesty back in 2013, too. And I think this is one of the more devastating quotes uh, out there. Uh, so I wanted to share it with you again. He said, super PACs may be bad for America, but they're very good for CBS. Now, you want to know why television doesn't expose the corruption in Washington and how the donor money is clearly legalized bribery that then goes into the campaign coffers of the politicians? Because the very next step is it comes out of those coffers and goes into TV ads and hence the pockets of TV executives. Gee, I wonder why they don't tell you about the corruption. Why they never talk about uh, how all these donors are simply buying all of our politicians. It's the most obvious thing in the world to the rest of the country, yet in TV, the only way that they talk about the money is when they congratulate people on winning the cash race. Like, oh, Jeb Bush did great in the beginning of the campaign. In this quarter, he raised the most amount of money. Well, I guess that is very good news for Jeb Bush. No, it's very good news for CBS and other TV stations. For the rest of us, it means he won the race for getting the most amount of bribes. So understand what's happening here. Wolf-pack.com. Somebody's got to end the corruption. Why not have it be me and you? Okay, we can do this together. We're already in the middle of doing it. Join us. You know what side they stand on. They just told you. What are you going to do about it? Wolf-pack.com. Oh, wouldn't it be fun to win? Wouldn't it be? And then all oh, the howls you would hear from the powerful. But, but that's not fair. You took away billions of dollars that we were used to. <laughs> what are we going to do without all that money that was coming to bribe the politicians? I don't know. Live in a democracy instead and care about what the American people think? That's what you'd have to do. That's not fair. Oh, come on, let's make him cry. Wouldn't that be fun? We already won in four states. <laughs> We're not going to win in more. We're almost going to put up two other states now. I'm not going to tell you which ones they are. Go be a volunteer. Join up. If you can't, if you don't have the time, become a member. Join up, brother. Okay? I'm telling you, man, you go talk to the Warriors in Illinois, California, Vermont, New Jersey, where we've already won. <laughs> they... They love that feeling of power they got when they won. Uh, there's a guy in Chicago named Murray the Merciless. Dude, legislators in Illinois fear him. You think he's a lobbyist? He's a politician? You know, he's one of you guys. Most regular guy you've ever met. Except he's Murray the Merciless. When he starts calling the politicians, like, oh, no. Here comes Murray. Part of the... Mountain Army, that's Wolfpack. 
They're laughing now. You want to laugh at the end? You join Wolfpack. Wolf-pack.com. An overwhelming majority of Americans, 84%, according to a recent poll, think that money has too much influence on politics and want the system of campaign finance fundamentally changed. But wait, says Yahoo Finance, the business wing of the online news giant. Actually, it turns out that rich political donors are wasting a lot of money. The outlet came to that conclusion in a report noting that candidates backed by the top 10 donors to individuals and super PACs won only 59% of the time, and that the candidates backed by the top 10 super PACs didn't win every election either. Yahoo seemed oblivious to the glaring flaws in its research, pointed out by John Schwartz in The Intercept. For one thing, they couldn't include contributions made to dark money political organizations because no one knows who those come from. That's why it's called dark. And that's why Charles Koch shows up in their study as giving a mere $5 million. Also, giving money to candidates who ultimately lose isn't necessarily a sign of failure since people tend to put money into races they feel will definitely be lost without it. But the study is tone-deaf in a bigger way, too, because it argues that donations to Republicans and Democrats essentially cancel each other out, assuming there's no political space outside of that partisan divide. While we know that the major parties actually agree on many key issues, like trade policy, so money spent on either party is basically on the same side. Majorities of the public may disagree, but no one represents them. Yahoo notes at one point that, yes, corporations spend more on lobbying than on electing particular candidates, but somehow that doesn't shake them from their misguided thesis, which tries to argue people out of what they see to be true, which is, as Schwartz puts it, quote, human beings vote at most every two years. Money votes every day, close quote. As an anti-consumerism advocate, I would like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and get everything you can get used from a place like Craigslist. You will save yourself a boatload of money and reduce the endless flow of new stuff getting shipped across the world because that seems more convenient than meeting a neighbor. Failing that, try a locally owned small business. 
failing that, if you're left with no choice other than to buy something from a place like Amazon, then at least there's a way you can do it and support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, Amazon.ca, or Amazon.co.uk from the banner at bestofleft.com and shop as you normally would. Better yet, click through on the link to your country's Amazon store only once and then bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whether that be rejecting consumption altogether, consuming sustainably, or at least consuming in a subversive way. Major broadcast news reports, uh, news networks ignore polls showing 78% of Americans want Citizens United overturned. This is over at MediaMatters.org, and this is astonishing. Four out of five Americans, roughly, want Citizens United overturned. And it absolutely is not just only slightly discussed. You know, the other day I was talking about how the ABC, NBC, and CBS had covered, as of a couple of weeks ago, had covered the the primary race to the tune of over 500 minutes of coverage, just those three television networks, and Bernie Sanders got eight minutes out of that. Hillary Clinton got 160 minutes out of it. Uh, Donald Trump, well, you know, it's just on it goes. But there were the, the minutes devoted to Citizens United, excuse me, to the fact that uh, a couple of billion dollars, perhaps as much as five or six billion dollars, will be spent on this election cycle. The amount of coverage, the number of minutes devoted to that, by ABC, CBS, NBC, PBS, Fox, Sunday morning shows, ABC, Fox, and NBC, the number of minutes devoted to a discussion of Citizens United, which 78% of Americans say should be repealed and is one of the biggest problems in America right now, the number of minutes devoted to it was zero. So when conservatives aren't lying about things like poverty in America, because they're creating poverty in America, and they really don't want to be held accountable for that, they're also doing a very good job of ignoring things. And this is the problem with a corporate, monopolistic corporate media. Now, why would the media refuse to even discuss the fact that four out of five Americans think Citizens United was wrong and should be repealed? Why would they refuse to even discuss that fact? What is arguably one of the most important issues of this election? Donald Trump points out, hey, all of his Republican colleagues are bought and owned by billionaires. He's the only one who's not bought and owned by a billionaire. On the Democratic side, Bernie Sanders says the same thing, essentially. Why does nobody talk about this on the Sunday shows? Why don't they talk about it on ABC, CBS, NBC, or PBS? Because, and this, by the way, now includes PBS and NPR, because they take now advertising. They don't call it advertising. They call it underwriting, but it's advertising. Because that 5 or $6 billion that is being raised right now to be spent on this campaign is going to end up in the coffers of these big network corporations. Of course. Bloomberg, unhappiness with the 2010 Citizens United decision cuts across Democratic and partisan and ideological lines. I had somebody call the show last week. I was going off on Citizens United, and he was like, no, no, we need more free speech. Corporations and billionaires should be able to, you know, more people should be putting money into that. We need more free. Actually, the vast majority of Americans, that had to have been a shill 
Because here are the actual numbers. That wasn't just a caller. It was, it was, it was a show. Republicans, this is according to a Bloomberg News poll, Republicans oppose Citizens United at the rate of 80% to 18. Only 18% of Republicans support Citizens United. 80% are opposed to it. Among Democrats, it's 83% to 13%. And among independents, which by and large is, you know, just a, a word for low information voters, people who don't pay attention to politics, people who don't know what's going on. They watch football games instead of, instead of debates. Among independents, it's 71% who think Citizens United is wrong. I mean, th this is huge. This is consequential. This is a major issue. And then the Brennan Center goes on to point out that uh, nearly 60% of all super PAC spending since 2010, since Citizens United, 60%, now we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars here, 60% of all that spending came from fewer than 200 people. In fact, they write, for the first time in decades, the total number of reported donors has begun to fall, as has the total contributed by donors giving $200 or less. In 2014, the top 100 donors to super PACs spent almost as much as all 4.75 million small donors combined. All campaigns, all elections, 100 people. 100 people, rich people, spent more on the 2014 election than 4.75 million Americans who made donations to political campaigns. You've reached the activism portion of today's show. Now that you're informed and angry, here's what you can do about it. Today's activism, stamp money out of politics with Ben and Jerry. Ben and Jerry have created a fantastically simple tool for building popular support to fight money in politics. They're putting the message right on the money. In an op-ed for CNN, they explained the concept behind their stamp stampede as only a pair of ice cream connoisseurs could. Quote, democracy is the triple deluxe drool-worthy idea that the people can govern and be governed in turn, that we the people are the author and the subject of the law. In America, it's the idea that we can elect representatives who will rise above self-interest and work on behalf of the common good. We need a stampede to rout the special interests who have corralled Congress, and that's what we're doing. Here's them explain the idea themselves. So Ben, we got the situation. We got the situation. There's too much money in politics. Well, it's not that there's too much money. To me, it's not that there's too much money in politics. It's who the money's coming from. I mean... The rich and the corporations are controlling our elections and our politicians because they own them because they buy them. And so our government is not responsive to the needs of the people. <laughs> exactly. So we need, we need to overcome that. We need to have a constitutional amendment to overturn the Citizens United Supreme Court decision. And then some. And in order to do that, we need a groundswell of Americans, the grassroots to rise up and to get that message out, you've created the stamp stampede. Yeah, because 
it really is possible for the grassroots to rise up and demand something when all you have to do is stamp a dollar. It's really easy to do. Anybody can do it for as much as they want, as little as they want. They can do it alone. They can do it with other people. I mean, it's a nice thing to do when you're having a drink at a bar and what are the, what coffee. Are the, at the what do the messages shop. say? Well, this one says uh, stamp money out of politics. Uh, this one says uh, the system isn't broken, it's fixed. You know, they all say amend the Constitution at the bottom. This one says not to be used for bribing politicians. This is kind of my favorite one. That's your go-to stamp? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I also like the system isn't broken, it's fixed, but that's a little deep, you know? You know... It's a play on words. People don't get that right off. You know, some people have to think about it for a while. Then, you know, when they get it, they think it's cool. Every bill that you stamp gets seen by 900 people. So finally, people can do something that they care about. Yeah, and they can do it anywhere, anytime, whatever's convenient for them. It feels like you're able to participate. It's only slightly subversive. Just slightly. Uh, But it is legal. It is definitely legal. We have the legal opinions, the lawyers, the whole deal. That is excellent. I'm very happy to hear that. Yeah. So people can do something that's positive, that's constructive. They don't have to sit around lamenting. No. You just you get pissed. You get on your old stamp pad, man, and you stamp, man. You get it out, you know. I mean, this is cathartic. So, Ben, you got to get the word out. That's the whole deal. You go to uh, stampstampede.org and you get one of these stamps. To get the word out. That's right. That's about the, the constitutional amendment to return our democracy to the people. You got it. You got it. As they said, this is completely legal, and a quick scan of their guidelines before deploying your stamp will make sure you're marking a part of the bill that won't get it flagged by the Federal Reserve and pulled out of circulation. You can even get stamps with messages that support some of Stamp Stampede's partner organizations like Wolfpack and Represent Us, who you've heard about on today's show. They also have bumper stickers and magnets available, and I think it goes without saying that everything from their store would make a great stocking stuffer. Stamp Stampede also has a tumbler of people, some of them famous, and some even legislators posing with their newly labeled money and with already labeled dollars that they've received from the bank or as change. You can post yours to social media or send it to Stamp Stampede using the hashtag GetMoneyOut. This may sound like a very small act, but it is a powerful and important one. We already know that the vast majority of people believe our politicians are bought. Now it's our job to let those people know that there are movements working to tear down the corruption in our system, and the Stamp Stampede is a big part of that mission. The CNN op-ed laid out some pretty impressive numbers. Quote, the average dollar exchanges hands 875 times. That means if a 1,000 people stamp $1 a day for a year the message would be seen more than 300 million times. If 10,000 people do it, the message would be seen more than 3 billion times, unquote. Stamp Stampede can already boast having over 60,000 participants. If just a fraction of our listeners joined in, we could put the effort to overturn Citizens United in people's hands billions of times in 2016. The segment notes include all of the links to this information as well as additional resources. And as always, this and every activism segment we produce is archived and organized under the Activism tab at bestoftheleft.com. If getting money out of politics matters to you, be sure to hit the share buttons to spread the word about the Stamp Stampede and hashtag GetMoneyOut via social media so that others in your network can get involved. 
That fights against money in politics is uh, Wolfpack. Another one is Americans Take Action. Now, this is a group that believes in public financing. They believe in voting rights overall. It's a crazy thing. They think that all Americans should get to vote and they should have free and fair elections where they get to decide their own fate instead of having private donors uh, decide their fate for them. So, in California, one of the most progressive states in the country, you know that for almost three decades, public funding of elections has been banned. Now, the way that they did that was, as usual, more trickery. About 28 years ago, they did a couple of confusing ballot initiatives at the same time to trick people into voting against public financing, even though that's what they wanted to vote for. That's why the ballot initiatives sometimes drive me crazy in California. Now, for three decades, so many of the progressive groups, unfortunately, in Washington didn't do anything about this. Here is a giant state that leads the country. It is the most popular state and creates trends. Why don't you try to reverse that and bring public financing to California? Uh, so we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Dude, it's been three decades. It's been 28 years. It doesn't look like you're getting to it. So Americans Take Action decided to take action. That's why I, I love these groups. See, now there's a progressive group that isn't sitting on their hands and saying, wait, wait, hold your powder dry. No, no, we got powder. Let's use it. Okay, so if you live in California and you don't want billionaires to donate to the politicians, you don't want corporations buying the politicians, well, then the answer is obvious, public financing. If you write their checks, they work for you. If Sheldon Adelson or, or the Koch brothers or even Soros or Bloomberg writes their checks, then they work for them. Okay, so let's fix it. Now, the thing is, in California, for the nation, it's Wolfpack. Right? You gotta get money out of politics completely. In California though, you can have a real significant effect right now. You pass a ballot initiative, that's how it works in California. Boom, you have public financing and you fix it for your own state. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Let's do it in California and then let's do it in other states. But if you live in California, it's called the California Free Act, uh, and we can get it on the ballot initiative. Just us, working together. A free stance for fair reform for equality in elections. Only the most reasonable thing in the world. So if you live in California, what are you gonna do? It's going to take you about 60 seconds, okay? Democracy in 60 seconds. You're going to go to savedemocracy.org. Okay, savedemocracy.org. We'll have the link down below on YouTube. And you, three simple steps. You do, you go there, then you print the petition form. On that page, you'll see the petition form. And you mail it to the P.O. box right there on the website. So you'll see the P.O. box on the website. You put it on the envelope. You take the thing you printed, put it in. Easiest thing in the world. If you're in California, you've got to do this. You, you, you got to have at least one minute for democracy. You have that, don't you? Right? Now, here, here's how we're going to win. Now, normally, ballot initiatives get funded by rich people. In fact, as Americans Take Action is fighting for this, uh, they keep getting asked by other political groups, both on the left and the right, 
uh, who's to, who's funding this? Uh, who's behind this? Nobody's funding it. Nobody's behind it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> the people of California are behind it. They're like, oh yeah, I don't believe that. Well, you guys, uh, I mean, you just got started, but you you kind of have a lot of signatures already. So who's the big money behind it? No, the point is not to have big money behind it. The point is to have you guys behind it. Okay, so if you collect five hundred thousand signatures, and that's not an easy task, and you got to do it by the beginning of March in California. That's why if you live in California, do it right now. If you know anyone who lives in California, tell them to do it right now. If you live in California, you already did it. Get your family and your friends to do it. Tell them, hey, you know what? You're going to take one minute out here, and you're going to help save democracy in California. Isn't that minute worth it? It absolutely is. And I want to see the the, the look on their face when this group, you know, look here they are. They they just got started. So that's a you know it's, it's not all of them. That's just one particular event that they were at. Now, when the big money people see this, they go, oh, "Those are those aren't even lobbyists. Those are average American citizens. And they can't win. This ballot initiative has no chance." Yes, we'll get to keep bribing all the politicians. <laughs> oh, I want to wipe that smile off their face. I want to get regular people like these guys. And if you want to volunteer, you can volunteer on the site too. When you go to SaveDemocracy.org. Right up top, it, it, it tells you how to volunteer, right? But do the petition first and join these guys. They're not, they're right. They're not lobbyists. They're not paid professionals. They're just citizens who have had enough. So if you live in California, savedemocracy.org, do it right now. You know, anybody that lives in California, go have them sign the petition. Man, if we get that on the ballot initiative, we get public financing in California. That is a game changer. And then, all those groups who've been waiting around like, oh, you know, we thought if we waited four decades, then maybe it happens on their own. No, no, no. You know how you get things to uh, to work? You know how you win? By fighting. By fighting right now. So come join us. Do this right now. SaveDemocracy.org. We just heard clips featuring the Young Turks discussing Brazil's Supreme Court banning corporate political donations, the David Pakman show on how campaign donations are kept secret, represent.us on the problem of corrupt elections, followed by their strategy to fix that problem, the Young Turks on why the corporate media loves our current fiasco of a system, counterspin on Yahoo News seeming to bend over backwards to miss the point when discussing money in politics, Tom Hartman on the fact that the media more often than not ignores the issue altogether. Activism today was from Stamp Stampede to get the word out to as many people as possible. And finally, the Young Turks finished up with a call to action for residents of California. You can find links to each of these segments and activism resources in the show notes for easy reference and sharing. And remember that I listed all of those organizations right at the top of the show in case you need to go back and hear them again. And now we'll hear from you. Hi, Jay. Uh, Rachel from Mississippi calling. I wanted to comment on your recent Reproductive Rights episode. Um, I appreciated the content and the activism section especially. I also appreciated the response from a listener um, on this most recent show pointing out the lack of agency afforded to women when this issue comes up for debate. My contribution is simply that I believe there is an argument for abortion rights that you know gets left out of the conversation when we frame it as a pro-choice versus pro-life issue. Specifically, I think framing the issue in those terms leads us down the road of questions of personhood and when life begins and 
I just think that those are questions that really cannot ever be definitively answered. And so they keep popping up as a way of arguing against choice. Uh, and I think it would be more productive to frame the issue in terms of uh, bodily integrity um, because our legal system has consistently supported the idea that people have a right to their body and their body parts. Um, and, you know, specifically, for instance, if a doctor tells me that, you know, giving up my kidney will save my father, I can't be forced to give up my kidney, even though it will save him, even though, you know, keep him alive. And, of course, in this example, my father's personhood is not in question. And I still, still can't be compelled to offer up my body for his benefit. And, you know, I'm not saying that it would be ideal for me to refuse my father. Um, it would be awesome if I could give him my kidney. But I might have legitimate and important reasons for why I might refuse. And so far, that's the decision I'm allowed to make without the interference of others. And I think when women are considered citizens and afforded the same agency as men when it relates to their bodies, objections to abortion, especially those that are based on these questions of life and personhood and conception, just don't hold up. Thank you, and thanks for the show. I really love it. Hey, Jay, it's Chris from Fairfax. I uh, just got done listening to your episode on uh, gun violence and gun control and really enjoyed it, partially because I frequently get into debates with my conservative cousin on Facebook. It's nice to have uh, good scientific research and, and evidence, but I'm calling to respond to Will from Mississippi, who left a voicemail, and I know it can sound kind of offensive to a worker, but unskilled labor is actually a technical term with an actual definition, and that is uh, a job that requires little to no experience and very little training to do, and that's opposed to skilled labor, like, for example, I am now in school to become uh, an aircraft mechanic. And not only do I need a certificate from the FAA saying that I can work on planes, but I need a lot of practice to be able to do that job well. And because of the experience and training requirements, skilled labor jobs generally have much higher wages and, and a lot better job security, whereas unskilled labor jobs are they're, they're great for employers. Employers love them, but they're not so great for employees because if you know, a person working in an unskilled labor job, like in fast food or, or retail, for instance, if they, if they mess up pretty bad or even if they ask for a raise or try to unionize or they don't perform to a certain expectation, it, it's very easy uh, and oftentimes cheaper for the employer just to, just to fire them and hire somebody new instead of trying to you know, train and develop their, their employees that they have. And because of this, employers often tend to treat them these jobs like just another machine part that can be replaced. The, the term unskilled labor doesn't imply that these jobs are easy. It doesn't imply that they're not valuable or that there's no learning curve. It's just jobs that are easy to get into and jobs that are easy to be fired from. And it's important that we progressives understand this dynamic and, and we try to shape the economy so that, you know, we, we value these jobs more. Uh, these workers need to earn a living wage like anyone does, and they need to have some opportunity for upward mobility. Anyway, I just wanted to uh, say that. Other than that, 
Really enjoy the show. Keep up the uh, great work. Bye. Hey, Jay, Blade. Just got through listening to your explanation of $15 an hour and just wanted to kind of agree with you on that. First time I heard the term fight for 15, I said to myself, okay, yeah, I get it. Makes sense. You know, it's just everything just kind of kind of falls in with it. So I agree that's probably exactly why, why it has become so popular, why that number sticks around. You know, at least in our country, $15 an hour, uh, while certainly not going to get you rich or, or, or anything like that, it's, it's a good, it would be a good floor to build from. Uh, at least people making $15 an hour could have a, have a shot at growing, uh, financially as opposed to if you're making minimum wage nowadays, uh, you know, you can't afford much. Most of the time you can't even afford, uh, the, the cheapest of apartments on your own. So I know that's kind of getting into the minutia a little bit there, but, for me, I, I understood 15, fight for 15 was the first time I heard it. Uh, it just conveyed everything that the movement was trying to say to, to me anyway. And, and honestly, there hasn't been a whole lot of, of complaints about the, about that, that, that dollar. I mean, in terms of no, no complaints of being arbitrary, I should say. Let me put it that way. So I think it was a pretty good, uh, pretty good messaging slogan. Anyway, Jay, have a good one. Hey, Jay, this is David in Cincinnati. In response to the uh, matter of $15 both in Canada and the United States, I thought I'd point out that the people who are getting the minimum wage aren't spending their wage in another country. It doesn't matter, for instance, that people in Europe doing my job get paid a half amount of actual value as job I'm doing because they're not spending money here and I'm not spending money there. Similarly, it's not going to happen that the Canadian minimum wages are going to spend their money in the United States. So the fact that there is an exchange rate disparity, which is really more to do about capital and international relations than in minimum wages, is really not going to make much of a difference, do you think? Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to the volunteers who helped gather clips to make this show possible. Thanks to Katie Klebusik for all of her work on our social media outlets and activism segments. And thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you'd like to leave a comment or question of your own to be played on the show, simply record a message at 202-999-3991. First of all, a quick response to David and his comments about minimum wages across borders. Okay, you got me. I'm not an expert on international wage relations and economics. However, I will tell you what crossed my mind uh, just as I heard that message. The price of books have always been printed as long as I've ever seen them explicitly, not like a sticker, not like a Barnes and Noble tag, like right on the cover of books. There are always listed two prices. So I turned around 180 degrees from where I'm sitting right now, pulled a couple of books off my shelf at random. Uh, the first one, The Consolations of Philosophy. On the back, it says U.S., $13, Canadian, $20. And uh, then the other one I got, Guns, Germs, and Steel. Excellent book. U.S., $15.95. And Canadian, $22.99. Now, I suppose it's possible that those uh, prices could be considered suggested retail prices and any given retailer may theoretically be able to sell the books for uh, whatever they want 
although I'm not sure that's true. There may be agreements with the publishers that they actually have to go by those prices. Now that I'm talking about it, I'm sort of remembering that that's a thing that exists. But beyond books, I have no idea how many other sorts of commodities get priced in this similar way. But at the very least, if both Americans and Canadians are making $15 an hour as a minimum wage, only one of those minimum wage workers is going to be able to afford to buy themselves a copy of The Consolations of Philosophy after working only one hour, and the other will not. Secondly today, I want to touch on the topic of today's show itself and, and you know add a little bit to it. I think it's a really, you know, obviously money in politics is a big, important, exciting topic. It's exciting to see how many organizations are really stepping up and tackling the issue from so many different angles. You know, I mean, we're, we're clearly nowhere near winning this war, but it feels like we got it surrounded. And today's episode, although we didn't cover nearly every organization that's fighting this battle, uh, I covered four of them. And so it's exciting to hear that, you know, these four groups are doing four different things and it's all very good, but it can also be confusing. So I wanted to break them down one at a time so you can see what everyone's doing and then kind of decide for yourself which one makes sense for you to get plugged into, if not more than one. So first of all, we heard a lot from Wolfpack. Of course, it's run by the Young Turks. And so Jank talks about it endlessly, which is good. Their strategy is to push for a constitutional amendment, and they're working on that through the states. So they're having individuals on the ground pressure their local state legislatures to pass resolutions calling for a constitutional convention. They've already had victories in California, Vermont, New Jersey, and Illinois. They've come close in several other states, and they're continuing to push all across the country. So that's Wolfpack. They're, don't, they're going the constitutional amendment route at the state level. Then we heard from Represent Us at represent.us today, and they you sort of heard the explanation during the show, but they are not going the constitutional amendment route, but the bottom-up municipal, city-level, and state-level legislation for clean elections with the idea that through those clean elections, we will get representatives who will go to Congress not beholden to big money and then be willing to push through nationwide reform. And so far, Represent Us has had victories in San Francisco, Seattle, Tallahassee, and Princeton, New Jersey. And then there's SaveDemocracy.org. That's for California residents only. You can go to SaveDemocracy.org, fill out a petition to have a ballot initiative be presented to the voters to get money out of politics in California. So it would be a statewide initiative to change the election laws in California. And then the activism we did today was from stampstampede.org, and they're just for general support and visibility, although they do also have a campaign going on in New Hampshire where they're on the ground organizing in New Hampshire because of their you know, electoral significance in that state. But generally, their campaign is just to make this issue visible. I don't know if you know this, but there are a lot more people who use money than who listen to political podcasts. So they want to help get the word out to all of them that this is one of those fundamental issues of our time and that there are movements working to change that uh, that they can actually get involved with. Plus, you can personalize your stamps and support any of these other campaigns. So you can get a Wolfpack stamp from Stamp Stampede or a Represent Us stamp from Stamp Stampede and so on. 
So pretty much regardless of where you live or your comfort with uh, how much you want to get involved or the amount of time you have to spare, one or more of these four organizations is going to be a great place for you to start. And as I said, there are still more out there that I didn't even have time to cover today. And I must add that we featured the Stamp Stampede today because it was suggested uh, by Keith, who runs the New Hampshire ground game for the Stamp Stampede. He got in touch, said he's been a listener, and uh, it is with great pride that I say that he let me know that it was because of this show that he left his teaching job to accept that job at the Stampede running the organization in New Hampshire because... I guess he heard about money in politics, got fired up thanks to, you know, Best of the Left and all the other great shows, obviously, that talk about this and decided to change his path pretty dramatically. So that's super exciting, uh, really, really gratifying to hear that people really are hearing this stuff and really are taking action. And so I hope that you will do something similar, if not uh, going as far as quitting your job and uh, <laughs> changing the course of your life. Now, lastly today, just a quick update on the fundraising campaign. One week to go. We are down to 23 signups remaining. I know we can make it. So huge thanks to uh, the people who signed up just in the last couple of days, bringing us to this point. Scott, Ryan, Jessica, Thomas, Lynn, Linnea, Brianne, and Kevin. As I've been saying, if you sign up at the base rate, which is six bucks a month for a membership, uh, that obviously counts as one. If you sign up for 10 bucks a month, that counts as two and so on going up. But really, I have no concerns. I, I know we can get 23 more people to sign up, get us to our goal before the winter holiday break and have us on totally secure financial footing for the next year going forward. Again, if you want to support the show, just go to the Contribute tab at bestoftheleft.com. Thank you very much to all those who have chipped in and to everyone who eventually will. It is very much appreciated. That's going to be it for today. Thanks, of course, to everyone for listening. Thanks to those who have already supported the show through the years by becoming a member or making one-time donations. That is absolutely how the program survives. Of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it and leaving glowing reviews on iTunes and Stitcher. Get even more from us by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all of the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information can always be found in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway, yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you every Tuesday and Friday, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. And it's a crying shame How we get so trained We can't see past all the sad stories And wonder what we're missing Stories and forget who it is with